0: This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. You're all so quiet today. I'm just, wow. Uh, I'm really, really glad to be in church. I will tell you, I thread a needle this morning I'm so happy about it, I have to tell you, but I, I don't, I, I was in Toronto this week um, speaking at a Dutch Reformed conference. Now, I will, can I just, I just want to talk to you about this for a second. This has nothing to do with my messages for free. <laughs> I was expecting to go to a Dutch Reformed conference and have everybody sing quietly. We have some work to do, people. The Dutch Reformed people are singing louder than this Pentecostal church. <laughs> Now I took a video of it, which I may share with you next week because it was deafening. I wasn't deafening—that's the wrong word—but very loud. And, uh, but you know, truthfully, what I was really excited about is that God's Spirit is moving all over the place. You know what God doesn't care about denominations, like zero percent. Like God's not up there saying, you know what, that denomination is better than that. we. Just I, I. And I also think newer the the young generation cares not a hill of beans about that kind of stuff. I think we, we just must be people who are people of the word and are people of the spirit. and We lean into the word and we lean into the spirit. But anyways, I was very encouraged. Uh, I was just very encouraged because uh, the w- worship culture, in a, in a fun kind of way, worship culture has flattened out denominations because Dutch Reformed people are singing Waymaker at the top of their lungs, top of their lungs. And uh, this, this is actually a really good thing This means that God is moving, that we don't have a corner as Pentecostal people on worship, we don't have a corner on anything, we just have Jesus, all of us together, and that's an amazing thing. Okay, I am uh, stalling here, as you know, just for the last second, because this is a hard topic that we're talking about these next couple of weeks. Now, if you're new here today, I'm going to make this disclaimer, in seven years of being in this church, I don't believe I've, well, maybe once I've had to preach on this, but uh, I, I am talking about it today. We're talking about what does it mean to be all in with Jesus. We don't have the choice as Christians to sort of be like, you know, like I'm going to be like a church Christian uh, and just like do my own thing. That's that's never that's never the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel calls us to lordship, and lordship means that every part of our life says yes to Jesus. Um, and during this series, we're asking, and, and now if you're new, this does not apply to you. I understand if you're new, you've got to check a place out. You've got to kick the tires. You've got to make sure that the jokes are acceptable. Um, but if this is your home church, we, we are asking, particularly in this season, as we have uh, come out of a weird couple of years, we're asking you to go all in in the mission of the church because, and, and listen. A lot of people will take issue with me about this and say, well, it's not just the church. You could serve God without the church. But the church actually, ecclesiol- from an ecclesial perspective, from a biblical perspective, the church, not just this church, but the big C church, is God's vehicle for bringing his mission to the world. So, so we can't apologize about that. We can't be like, well, like, this is just sort of like a YMCA for people who want to sing. No, this, the church is actually God's vehicle for bringing the gospel to people. That is not about institutionalness or that, that is just biblical. All throughout the New Testament, uh, the church was the vehicle that turned the world upside down. And so as, as your pastor, I'm not shrinking back from that. We're going to say with our shoulders squared that the church is the vehicle that God is going to use in the 21st century, whether the government likes it, whether the people like it, doesn't matter. God is still moving. He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so because of that, we're asking you, because of that theological belief, we're actually asking you to say, yes, yes, I'm going all in in the mission of God. And the mission of God is the church. So if this is your home church, I warned you. Okay. Um, And and we do believe that as a church, we're in a bit of a Kairos moment. We talked about this last week, like a God, Kairos moment simply means a God-ordained moment uh, where he's giving us an opportunity or an invitation and a command to expand our borders. Um, In the book of Isaiah 54, Isaiah is commanded to expand the pegs of their tent. Now, I realize that in the late 90s, if you were a person in church in the late 90s, this verse got like little booklets written about it, somebody made a lot of money off a pamphlet, uh, but nonetheless, it is still true that God does call his people, there are seasons where God calls his people to expand, and uh, we, we believe we're in a moment like this, so uh, in many of our ministries, we see this happening, um, Logan and jo- oh, Josh, is up at the junior highs, but we took two buses for the youth group on Friday, right, I don't, I don't know, have we ever had two buses, not since, no, Yay for two buses going mini-putting. <laughs> y'all, listen, y'all are golfers today. You've got beautiful claps. Uh, now, I, 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 and Pastor Logan would understand this too. Mini-putting never changed anybody's life. But I'll tell you what does change people's lives. When people get in community together and Christians find other Christians and kids have, like, uh, this is how kids decide to make a public declaration for Jesus, Right? because they actually find people. So our youth group is growing, our small groups, every part of our church is growing now. Um, If you were to go downstairs, and I I gave this plug last week, and some of you were, you just like, you felt this in a very, and you went and talked to Pastor Heather. Our kids ministry is growing right now. If we all were very quiet for a second, we might be able to hear screeches from the basement. (laughs) Uh, we're going to have listen. We're we're going to have to go to two services before every chair is filled with adults in here. Simply because we're growing with so many kids. Uh, simply, y- you'll know this when the kids are dismissed. It's like a wee bit of chaos, right? Those of you that are not inclined towards children think, "Why do I come to this church again? It's chaotic." If you sit up in the balcony, there's less chance of being trampled. Uh, but every part of our church is growing. So this this also means that, and we we actually believe this means that God is speaking to us. Um, We want to continue to expand how we reach the community. So this year, for four months, we opened up a warming center, um, and we saw 1,500 or so uh, people experiencing homelessness come and be helped and uh, just shown the love of Jesus. But we have a vision for our kitchen. So right now in our kitchen, it's not like a... um, commercial kitchen. It's just like your mom's kitchen that you're not allowed to cook anything in. And But we have a vision that we would expand that to a commercial kitchen so that we could serve new immigrants to our community, so that we could serve uh, people who are underserved and marginalized, and so that we could um, have creative, many of you have creative and imaginative gifts, and we want to facilitate those. Um, we we, uh, we want to continue new connections with people in the community we don't wanna just have a warming center that works four months of the year. We, we wanna be a place that's open to the community all year round. The, the mark of a church, really, is not, do they have good worship or do they have smoke and lights? And like, all those things are fun. I was a rapper in the 80s, so of course, okay? <laughs> I mean, the mark of a good church is that the community cries out if they stop doing things. I, I, I wanna be part of a community and a church where the community thinks, well, I might not believe what they, I might not believe a word they say, but man, there's something different about them. Man, they're generous to the community. Man, they've made an impact. This is how people come to Jesus, by the way. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, the word of God tells us. And the kindness of God does not just show up in a vacuum. Like, sometimes I think we read that verse and we think, yeah, it's the kindness of God that, maybe God will shoot people with a Cupid arrow of kindness. No, it's you are the kindness of God that people see. We collectively are the kindness of God that people see. It's not just kindness in some kind of weird. Now, God can do anything, so I guess if he wanted to shoot a kindness arrow at them, he could. But generally speaking, God works through you and I. Um, So I'm going to acknowledge in this series that I am going to ask you to consider your financial involvement. In the mission of God here, and I'm asking you to commit to it, um, which I know for a lot of you, like you're like you're back for week two, and you think, did I really come for a second week of this? And I am, I want to say I'm apologizing, and then I'm going to take it back and say no, I'm not, because um, my board is sitting here in the congregation, and <laughs> not just that. But but let me just say a few things to you if this rubs you the wrong way. Uh, so I'm telling you, I am, I am going to talk about finances. If this rubs you the wrong way. Um, If you tend to have a a defensive, resentful attitude when this subject is brought up, let me at least ask you to consider for a few minutes if it could be something that's going on in your heart. Um, I have two vehicles right now that both have the um, uh, mechanical light on. Do you know when you get in your car and you so lovingly take it down the deer foot and then that red light comes on? you know what I am not? a mechanic. I have no idea why the light is on. I'm just driving the car, okay? Like, I'm just driving and I'm praying that nothing happens with my car. Um, the, the, The indicator, sometimes, that something is going on in our heart is when we have these little flashes of resentment. Now, maybe for some of you, it's not about finances at all. Maybe you're just fine to talk about finances, but the middle, somebody, the time somebody talks about forgiveness, you think, I know the pastor knew my problem, and they're just like airing it out on the stage. Maybe that's your red flag. Or maybe it's uh, that you, I don't know. Could be a thousand issues. But I do know that whenever resentment comes up in our heart and we start to feel like a Ooh, it's usually a check engine light. Uh, secondly, I would just say this. Listen, I, I, I want us to be able to hear this. Listen, maybe you've been in a church before and people have broken your trust. Um, maybe you're not at the place where you feel like you can, you can trust this church yet, and that's fine. I, 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 I really, I don't actually care where you go all in. I mean, I do care. That would be a lie. You, you know that I'm lying saying that. I do care, but, but I don't actually. If you can't do it here, just go all in somewhere. Because Jesus wants you to go all in somewhere. If you can't give your money here, hey, listen, I pray that someday we'll earn your trust. But if we can't, if, you, if we can't earn your trust yet, that's fine. Just give somewhere. Um, okay, so this, this week I want us to consider a, que- a question. We're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, but I want us to consider a question that has plagued me for years. And... Um, there's been lots of years I've been in a little bit of misery over it, and you know that whenever I'm in misery over something, I drag you all with me, so welcome to church this morning. Um, and, and this is the question that I have often asked myself. How much am I responsible to give? Partly because I'm a I'm kind of a rule follower, kind of a rebel. The rule follower in me wants to get a golden star from somebody. The rebel in me wants to do not what they tell me to do. Um, so on on... Here's a little bit of a confession time. I'm a bit of a materialist, maybe like you. I don't like parting with my money. Makes me so mad. This morning I was in the airport very early, like four o'clock in the morning, Toronto time, and um, I was very hot because I decided to to wear this outfit in public, which is a very bad fashion idea when you're not wanting to be hot. But I had to get a drink, and the guy charged me 7.65 for a drink. I, in that moment, I felt like the mom that I am. I was like, I said to the guy, really, $7.65? No, no, strong no, I'm going back to the thing. And I said to him, no, it says $5. I know there's more tax in Ontario, which is why we all live here, but, but not $2.65 worth of, I, mean, I made that man ring that up. He looked very upset at me. I'm, I'm a, I just don't like parting with my money uh, at all for any reason. My children are taking it from me by, like, it's like sand in your hands. When you have children, it just, whoo! So you're not going to take 765 for a drink from me. <sighs> and, and then, so I, on one hand, I'm a materialist. and On the other hand, I'm a legalist. And No matter how much I give, I feel like, I, sh- I should I be giving more? Is it enough? Is it enough? And there's this idea, listen, an erroneous idea in the church that we should all be, like, super-duper poor, and that's the only, re- that's the only way God will ever say, good job, so should I move all my children to a tiny house? <laughs> Y'all know how that would be, would not would not be good. Okay, so so as Christians, we, we fall into one of th- three pat well not a- all the time, but there's three ways that sometimes we deal with giving. First of all, some of us are Christians who don't give. And um if we're in that category, we actually don't believe that our commitment to Christ includes a radical sharing of resources. Even even though Jesus had more to say about money than he did heaven or hell. That's a really hard one. When people say, oh, it's just televangelists that talk about money. Nope, nope, it was Jesus. Jesus was right on that. He was talking about money all the time, making people feel uncomfortable. Why do you think people were mad all the time? They weren't just mad because... Because no matter what society, no matter what time in history we're in, money uh, gets a hold of us. Okay, so there's some of us, uh, and you might be in this category if you resent when we talk about money. Generous people generally don't get mad. S- second are, are what I call um, tithe Christians, and they're, um, they give 10% to fo- fulfill a rule. Um, so it's like a God tax. And you, you kind of say this, you pay your 10% and you go, okay, whoo, done with that, I am free. Praise God, he likes me best of anybody, I'm in the good books. Um, and this is, this is a little bit of an error. God never imposed a rule on us so that we would live by some kind of tax for him to like us more. We are loved wholly and fully, you never give a cent to God, he still loves you. You never give a dime to the kingdom of God. He still loves you. He still thinks you are amazing. He calls you a masterpiece. So there is no guilt. So the thing about the gospel is that uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 tells us that there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, and this applies to everything. So I I want you to hear very clearly today that we don't live under guilt or like, God's going to get you. If you don't give your 9.9%, God's going to get you. Uh, we don't live by that we we don't believe in that theologically uh, a third thing uh, the third kind of giver is the always feel guilty Christian like it's never enough it's never enough and you buy a new car and you park it like way over there by the sea train so that nobody can see that you bought a new car and, and that's not biblical either and we're going to talk about that from first Timothy God gives us things to enjoy that's part of his um, joy okay so at all at all part, points at at points in my life, I've been in all three categories. So I, I want to share with you this, this morning some scripture that God has given me over the last couple of years that's helped me form a val- balanced view of money. King David, this morning, I told you we're going to look at four characters. Last week, we looked at Abraham. This week, I want to look at King David. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 1 says this. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, see see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Okay, so at this point in time, David has been established as the king over all of Israel. God took David from a pasture and he uh, helped him win battle after battle. And now David is Israel's greatest king and they're sitting in all kinds of prosperity. Uh, they have peace on every side. It is, it is actually the greatest time in Israel's history And um, at this point in time, though, the tabernacle um, is a tent where God lives in. David has built himself, he has himself a nice palace, and God lives in a tent. And David looks over at this tent and said, you know, this isn't right. I live in a house that's beautiful and has one of those Aroma 365 contraptions in it that makes it smell like a hotel. Um, And God lives in a tent. I should build him something nicer. And Nathan responds like any pastor when someone comes and says, hey, listen, I have a big gift I'd like to give. You know what Nathan says? Do whatever the Lord has told you to do on your heart. He turns his head sideways. He looks quite spiritual. And so um, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Yes, he certainly is. But then this very interesting thing, there's a bit of a plot twist. Um, Here's what the scripture says. It says, but that same night, so Nathan says to David, yes, I agree wholeheartedly, build this thing. But then the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought the people up of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God's essentially saying here, David? David, hello? Did I say I needed a house? Uh, did I ever say, I'm tired of this drafty old tent. Give me something better. You're you're trying to do me a favor like I need something. There, there's playfulness in this text. Uh, by the way, healthy organizations, healthy, or um, always tend to have a bit of playfulness. You, you have to watch for this in the Bible, though. If you don't watch, if you, if you just come to the Word of God like, very um, tense. What you'll read into it is tenseness, but there's all kinds of playfulness in this text, and I, I, I would just say that a little bit, when we get talking about money, I can actually see it in your body language. We get talking about money, everybody's body gets a little bit tense. Do you know that's the number one uh, problem in marriages? Money. Families, number one problem, money. Uh, and so, when, when we go to talk about money, It's important that we sort of like just everybody relax your shoulders a little bit and god is like a little bit funny with with david here he says listen um david if i needed a new place to live david i wouldn't be coming to ask you to spot me a couple million like that's basically what he's saying And this is what he says. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Smiled. David says, God, I I want to build you a house. And God goes, nah, you, you think you're doing me a favor? No, I am God. And um, it, God says, he basically turns the tables on David and says, oh, you think you're going to build me a house? No, I'm going to build you a house. Isn't this amazing about the generosity of our God? This is the same God we serve, by the way. This is the same God we serve. He, he turns the tables on us and says, no, 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 no. This is not about you doing me a favor. I'm God. I don't, I don't need your money. And then I love this, in verse 18 it says, King David went and sat, if you're the underlining kind, you can underline that word, sat, sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. And what more can David say to you? Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought all this greatness to make your servant know it. The word know here is very telling. It's not just like I know. It's like a deep-seated knowing, like to know something in your guts. David started this discussion feeling like he needed to do God a favor, and he ends it by sitting and knowing and wondering at the glory of God. Now, this is relevant to how we think about our money because it tells us our posture. Salvation is not is not ever about us doing something for God. Like God will do a little bit of an exchange. I'll give my 9.3% and you make my life really good. Uh, This is never the call of salvation. Salvation is always about us sitting at the feet of God and knowing him, actually knowing him. And Any giving we do then is because of the abundance of grace that we've been given, thankfulness that we've been given. And um, I share this because I think it debunks one of the greatest mi- misconceptions about money, and that's we give because God needs our money. And this really is the posture of lots of places. And I, I and truthfully, I probably preached this way for 10 years of my life, like God needs your money. God does not need your money. He does not. I mean, I knew intuitively He does not need our money, but we sometimes get into that position. And he proved this to his disciples. Jesus proved this to his disciples over and over. He provided for the financial needs out of fish's mouths. That's a very weird story in the New Testament where the disciples are like, we don't have any money. Go look in a fish's mouth. If you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor like this, I I mean, I think sometimes we read the New Testament, we go, that was normal in the New Testament days. They played with a lot of fish a lot of times. So just go out there and play with the fish kids. No, that was weird. Also, have you ever thought about how that fish would have been slippery? Like, how did they get, like, some of you are fisher, fishermen, fisher people. I don't know what's the word now, but anyways. You you go for days and can't find a fish. I find fishing, I mean, we can discuss the merits of fishing later, but okay. You go out there, you put your rod, this is a very weird thing. Jesus is fun about money. Like Jesus isn't stressed about money at all. He's saying, go find it in a fish's mouth. You have to think about how this would have sounded. It's like your mom saying, I can't pay my rent right now. Okay, go down to the bow and find a fish down there. Very weird. Very weird. And also, fun. Fun. Like a fun scavenger hunt. Parents, if I, I realize with my four little kids, this is for free as well. If you ever need your kids to have you need to have some alone time if you're a young adult you don't have kids this is also this going to be a free one be for you what you do is you make up scavenger hunts long ones long scavenger hunts find a four-leaf clover like put hard things on there and they will be gone for hours but so that's just for free so basically jesus did a scavenger hunt and then then he took those two loaves of bread and the the fish and he i mean he did more than jeff bezos could do or elon musk could do in a lifetime in like just a minute just from a little boy, Jesus was very fun when it came to resources. I th- I think we should be too. I think I, I think our position has got to be less uptight, less like oh God wants my money, and more like oh okay, God, we get to do this. We get to go and like find resources and fish his mouths and give it to your kingdom. This is amazing. What what if we stopped being like the world, who's so uptight about money? And we just started saying God, it's our privilege. It is, we know you don't need anything, but it's our privilege to give back to you because we love you. Psalm 50, 12 through 15 says this. It's God talking. I want you to hear the playfulness in this verse. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. God is reminding us in this verse, I don't need you. I love you, but I don't need you. Do you, do you know that that's so freeing? Because often in human terms, this is how our love for God is not like, our, like a love for anything else. In human terms, uh, when people love us, we often get the sense it's because we can do something for each other, usually. Like I... I love you because you do this. And now we don't say that out loud, but it it is the human condition. What God says is, listen, even if I needed something, which I don't ever need something, I wouldn't ask you anyways, I just love you. This changes our posture of giving altogether. Not giving because God said, if you don't give, the kingdom partners, all the missionaries will starve. No, God could tell them to go find money in a fish's mouth, but he's asking us, you get to. He's saying, hey, you get the privilege of partnering with me. Okay, so this scripture in 2 Samuel tells us something, though, about David and about his posture for giving, and I think we can learn a few things from it. The first thing is that David wanted to leverage his money for God's eternal kingdom. Because God said to him this in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 7, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. I mean, God told him, you don't, you don't have to build the house for me, David, but it was really awesome that that was in your heart, and, and basically told David it was a good thought, and, and David then goes on to collect um, all the materials, because his son was young at the time, and his son was going to build the temple for God, and although his son was going to be the wisest person on earth, we assume that he was a teenager at this time, and still couldn't remember to feed the dog. So David helped him, and he—that um, was extra biblical. We don't know if that was actually true. Um, but David wanted to invest his money in God's eternal kingdom, which God said was a good thing. And this is true of you and I too. So even if we live to let's let's say that science really has a leap forward, and we all live to 150, in light of eternity, that's like five seconds. And so the question is, why not leverage what we have now for God's eternal kingdom? Uh, Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, said this, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's really a cool idea, isn't it? No hearse has ever seen, been seen pulling a U-Haul. Huh. You, can't, you can't take what you have with you anyways, but you can send it ahead. What would it look like if we weren't thinking about our, uh, like our, it, and, and this is true even of your time, your talent, all, all of that. You can't take it with you. Like, nobody's going to say, wow, they were such a great singer. Look at them there in the coffin. I mean, you're dead. Doesn't, nobody's hearing you sing anymore. You don't leverage that and send it forward for the kingdom. What are, what are we doing then? Your money, you, you, you can spend it all now, or you can leverage it and send it forward to however long Jesus takes to come back. Financial planners tell us this, when it comes to your money, don't just think three months or three years ahead, think 30 years ahead. And uh, Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. This is what Randy Elkern said. He said, don't ask how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years, ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. Oh. Because in 30 million years, I can guarantee you this, you'll still be alive. I mean, not on this earth, but your spirit will be alive. And the people that your investment changed, they're going to be with you. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? That your investment in the kingdom of God is not just for now, it's forever. And David was so grateful. The second thing we learned is that David was so grateful to God that he wanted to give God something to show his love for him. So he, had saw all, he saw all that God had done for him, and he wanted to do something in response. In fact, at the end of 2 Samuel, God reveals the plot of land where his temple is to be built, and so David goes over to get the plot of land, and there's a guy there, and he says, hey, listen, um, can I buy this land from you? And the guy's like, you're king, David. You want the plot of land, it's yours, it's fine. It's gonna be for the temple, that's totally fine. And David responds by saying, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not give unto the Lord, my God, that which cost me nothing. David understood that, that to show love, it's got to cost us something. This is amazing because David knows the issue is not about the money. God already set that straight a couple chapters back. The issue is a heart issue. And, and listen, some, some of us up to this point have given but it hasn't cost us anything. I, there's been seasons in my life. I'm going to just tell you there's been seasons in my life where it cost me nothing. You know what it cost me? Starbucks money. It cost me the five bucks that I spent on that drink. Almost seven seventy-five. I didn't even notice it. That's not love. The, the way marriages work, by the way, is when we sacrifice for each other. Like when Dave will watch shows with me that no husband wants to watch. Or when he wakes up in the night because I have something very pressing. I have a weird dream that I had that I need to recount to him. He's sacrificing sleep for me. And this has been going on for 23 years. Uh, that, that's why we're so married after 23 years. And, and why... Um, I mean, I, there's, lots, I, I, there's lots of ways Dave sacrifices for me more than I do for him, but I don't care so much about a clean house, but I sacrifice in vacuum every day. I mop our floors I, because, I, because that, that's what love is. And if, if you have seen a good marriage before, you, you'll know that, that love is like this sacrificial back and forth. That's what grows your love. We can't say we love God on one hand, but be unwilling to sacrifice anything. And my, listen, it's not just about money. Money's just something that we can tangibly talk about and we all understand. If it doesn't cost you anything ever, you don't feel that pinch a little bit. Think about the woman in John chapter 12 who poured out the alabaster jar on Jesus cost her everything she had, everything probably that was of worth in her life. And if David was grateful to God because of what he'd seen God do, how much more us who have seen, who, have, who know of Jesus, who gave his very life for us? Okay, and then the third thing we find is that David did exactly with his money, exactly what God instructed him, and, and the point is, we need to get good at saying, God, what do you want me to do? with my? Now, God gives us instructions in his word. But, but generally speaking, God doesn't say, and all of you will give $79.95 a week. That's not the way God works. Because he actually, he actually calls our, our money to be in relationship with him. Laura talked about this a few weeks ago. That our giving actually has to be a result of um, our heart. When Moses was gathering money in, the, in Genesis, he, he, it says in the word of God that everybody gave what God put on their heart to do, and there's more than enough. And I just believe that as a people, if we just said, God, what do you want us to do here? God, what is it that you're calling our family to do, that there'd be more, more than enough to meet every single need in our city? that we'd be able to reach every person that God's called us to reach, that we'd be actually able to do, you know, from a discipleship perspective. They say that um, the two things that cause young people to grow up and serve God all the days of their lives, two things, send them on a missions trip, send them on a missions trip, and send them to camp. So what's weird about that, though, is that both of those things are quite different. Expensive endeavors. Yes, if you're a parent, if you all signed up your kids for camp this year, if you didn't already do it, you might not get to. But uh, it's expensive to do those things. So what we're doing, what we're actually doing in our churches, is saying, you know what, if you're upper or middle class, your kids can be discipled. What? But if you're not, well, sorry. Sorry. I think we can do better as a church, yes? And imagine if as a church we said, listen, if, you're, if Journey Church is your home, we send every kid to camp. We send them to camp through our general budget. We say every kid gets to go to camp no matter where you are from, no matter how long you've been here, no matter how much money your mom and dad or your mom has, you get to go to camp, and every kid gets to go on a missions trip. Yes? Yes? because we care about discipleship, not just so that kids can go to LA, and they're going to go to LA this year, our teenagers, and they're going to have a good time, but that is important to their discipleship for the next 25 years. That matters for if they serve Jesus or not, and I am willing to contend for that, because we must contend for people serving Jesus from the day they're born to the day they die, and not have this sort of like, well, 90% of our kids are going to like fall away from God and it's not going to be relevant to them anymore and you know there's nothing they can do the world's just taking them by storm no it's not we know the data we know the things that are going to cause kids to to serve Jesus all the days of their lives but that that's going to take resources that's going to take us squaring our shoulders back and saying maybe I will have one less latte this week or one less power drink in an airport for 775 I'm not getting over it (laughs) Maybe it means that I have to like make my own coffee for the next year, because it's gotta cost me something. We've gotta be people that, that, that take the words of Jesus seriously when he says all in. I will lose my life to gain one. Okay, I have too much information today and all my numbers are out. But I, I do wanna tell you this, that this is not just an Old Testament principle, it's a New Testament principle as well. In 2 Timothy, Um, the Bible says, command those who are rich in this present world, by the way, if you are sitting here, if you live in this country, you're in the top 2% of people in the world, so this scripture, I know, I generally read it and go, well, it's not talking to me, so I'm just going to skim that one, this is what it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us, everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds. Let me ask you this, are you rich in good deeds? And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may, not, so that they take, ho- may take hold of the life that is truly life. I like that last little part. This is how we take hold of the life that's truly life. I don't wanna live a life that's like sort of mid, Like, I sort of lived. I want to live a life that, like, when I get to the end of my days, when I'm ready to die, whether I know it or not, I've lived every single moment, like, like, every moment of my life was, like, really, really living. I don't want to live like this weird kind of existence where you're just trying to get to your two weeks of vacation. It's a terrible way to live. I know vacation is wonderful but we cannot just live our lives like for the next time we have four days off in a row. I wanna live every minute, and the way that we do that is by saying, God, help me to be rich in good works. So for some of us, that's like a call to serve. Like you've essentially just been doing your own little thing in your own little cocoon, and, and God wants to call you to serve his kingdom. For some of us, that means going after church, saying to Pastor Heather, I could help out in the twos. Or I could help out, uh, Pastor Amy, in the in the big kids in the kids' church, or for some of you that means saying, "Hey, listen, I I could work the coffee machine, I could greet people and see people, really see people." And for some of us, it means that we say, "I could give of some of my finances so that the kingdom of God can go forward." And listen, there, there's lots of things that I could talk about today. But God invites us to give, essentially. And he's not asking us, he invites us. I just He invites us to give so that we can go to war against the idolatry that corrupts and destroys our hearts. I know none of us are like walking around saying, yes, the idol of money has really destroyed my heart. Nobody, Nobody actually, but it's really true. It is true that money gets into all, listen, if you live here, just, It just gets into our hearts. It's just, it's the thing I'm battling. It's the thing you're battling. And the way that we we attack that, I mean, we could do fire tunnels, but that wouldn't be effective. The The way that we actually get that out of our heart is not having somebody shout it out of us, like, hey, everybody's got an idol of money, come on up and I'll lay hands on you and I'll sprinkle stuff. No, the way we get that out is by giving. That's the antidote, give. OK, so here's the three questions I want, to ask. I want us to ask. The, the three questions I ask about my own giving. What does what I do with my money show what I delight in? Some of us right now really delight in grapes, because they're $17 right now. I know it's tricky that we're talking about this in, in a time of inflation. I do know that. I know some of us are squeezed so thin, like so tight, it feels like you cannot breathe. But the gospel is upside down in that when we can't breathe, this is the best time for us to give. So what does, I, what, do, what, do, does what, I, what you do with your money show what you delight in? What does what you do with, what your, with your money show what you trust in? This is essentially an issue of trust. Do I trust God enough to say, okay, you said that if I give, it'll be given back to me, pressed down, shaken together, running over? Do I actually trust that? Or am I like I trust? See, what's the weird thing is that we trust. We trust that Jesus, the Son of God, came to Earth, died on a cross, and rose again. And we're like, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm going to sing all the songs about that. That's really normal. But we can't trust that God will take care of us financially. Can you see how that's a demonic stronghold? We we can trust that. Oh, Jesus, he took up mud, put it on someone's eyes, and then they saw again. Yeah, I totally trust that story. Very normal. But we can't trust that God will take care of your mortgage or that God will take care of your kids. Okay, so what does what you do with your money indicate what kingdom you're building? What kingdom are you building? Your own? because I got news for you. Your own kingdom's gonna be, like, gone. All, all of us in this room, like, think of the most famous person that has done the most good in the world, and then go downstairs to kids' church and ask a five-year-old, hey, hey, you ever heard of this person named, whatever your name is? Do you know what they're gonna say? No. the only person they know but a Santa Claus because he's coming in seven months. Uh, they, they don't know. You, you, the, And this is normal. None of us are going to be that. Like, I I hate to to be the break. I know your mom told you you were special. And you are special in the eyes of God. You really are. But most of us are going to live pretty normal lives. We're going to live. We're going to do some fun things. We're going to get some speeding tickets if we live in Calgary for any such a time. And then we're going to die. We're going to pay taxes. You might get married. You might stay up all night because you have a few kids. I'm not degrading our lives because they really are good, but what I am saying is, I like, "You're not, you're not, none of you are building a kingdom that's going to be that awesome forever." So you might as well invest your money into a kingdom that's going to last forever, not Journey Church. Listen, when you give to Journey Church, you're not giving to Journey Church; you're giving to the kingdom of God. And, and by the way, you're not giving when you give; you're not giving to the pastor, so that I can get rid of my check engine light. Uh, you, you're giving to God. This this is the point. We give to God, and so how do we give to God? I mean, we give through talking about, like in the Old Testament, God God laid out a minimum standard for the people. He said, you're going to give me 10 percent. It's the tithe. Now, a lot of people a lot of people will say, well, Jess, that is a new, that's an Old Testament concept, and we don't live in the Old Testament, so in the New Testament, it's a little more tricky, because like basically everybody gave everything, so I'm just like, I'm just going to say to you, just like, just maybe put that out there, like the Old Testament's easier, so, and it, it was a universal concept, God said when you touched the tithe, you were actually stealing from God, all of what you have is God's anyways, it's very quiet in here today. It's good that I only talk about this once every 7 years. And th- and then there's there's so there's tithing and that's like a basic minimum standard. If I I know it feels like you can't do it. I know you're in university, you can't do it because you have no money and I know then you get you just get out of school and your debts come calling and then you can't do it and then What happens is you get married and you can't do it then because you're saving for a honeymoon and then you get married and you have kids and you can't do it then because of diapers. And then you can't do it because your kids get big and they ask you for 20 bucks every time you turn around and then you get big and they're going to college or university and you're flat broke. And then after that you're trying to prepare for retirement and then after that you die. So you're buying your tombstone. This is how it works, you will never have time. If you think about this, it's a bit like having kids, like when people would say, "Oh, I don't think we're ready to have kids." you're never going to be ready for kids. You're never gonna, You're never going to have the money, you're never going to be ready. But the same with tithing. you're never going to have time to give 10 percent. Just do it anyways. Be obedient to God anyways. Just do it anyways. Don't do it for me, do it. Do it for the kingdom of God, because you're building a kingdom that's going to outlast you. Thirty million years from now, you're going to go, "I am so glad I gave to the kingdom of God." Uh, secondly, uh, we we give investments to God's kingdom. So the command says, "Lay not up for yourself treasures in this world, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven." I don't know how much clearer God could make it. Um, I, I'll, I've heard it say this way: "Live and save sufficiently, and give extravagantly." Live and save sufficiently, but give extravagantly. That's like a ma- I, one of our uh, values here at Journey Church is that we'd be generous servants. And I, uh, for a long time, I I never want to talk about this, partly because I think I'm like super Canadian and like finances, finances and things in the bedroom, just like off-limit topics, right? You just don't want to talk about those out louder politics, too. We just try to keep that inside. But I realized somebody challenged me on it. They said, Jess, I've heard you speak about every one of our values in some way, and I've never heard you talk about generosity. I don't even do the vision moment because I'm nervous about it, partly because like, I grew up in the 80s when people were, like, building amusement parks for Jesus, and it was weird. (sighs) But I kind of thought about um, my job. So, like, we all have jobs in the kingdom of God, and not one is better than the other, but my job is to bring God's word to God's people. That's my calling. And like a parent, like, in some ways, I'm a parent trying to teach. I, I don't think of you as my kids. Most of us are the same age, but... I do know that there are some topics with my kids that, like, I just didn't look forward to talking to them about. You know the ones I'm talking about. Like, no parent on Earth is like, yes, I get to have the conversations about the birds and the bees to my kids. I'm so excited. We're all kind of like, okay, okay, Dave, you're up. We've got two boys. We've got two girls. We split it evenly down the... (laughs) And I don't know if we still did a really good job about it. My kids often come back to me and say, why didn't you tell me about that? I don't know. I don't know. But, like, you know what bad parenting is? And if you haven't done this, don't. Bad parenting is when we just ignore things and just choose not to tell our kids about it at all. Like, just hopefully you'll find out about that from someone on the school grounds. Hopefully you'll find out that not from the Internet. Um, And so my, my job is to bring the full counsel of God, not just some of it, If you're here new, I I want you to know this is not an every week occurrence. I don't get up and talk about where our money is. But in some ways, I was thinking about how this talks about what kind of a church we want to be. A church that doesn't avoid hard topics. A church that just says, like, hey, like, we got to talk about money because money controls most of our life. Yes. Like, your bills this week, none of us are just like, I'm just going to forget. Unless you're independently wealthy. All of us have to think about juggling the cost of grapes right now. And part of my role is to bring difficult subjects and make us think about how the Word of God instructs them. So this is kind of what I want us to do today. I want us just to close our eyes just as we... Here's the three takeaway principles. The issue is not money. The issue is our hearts. Always our hearts. That's why it doesn't matter, like maybe you're here and you're underwater, like you're making no money. It's fine, the issue is not how much you can give. The issue is your heart. What does what you do with your money show what you trust in and delight in? What's funny is that it's easy for our mouths to talk a good talk. (coughs) Our wallets are not so compliant. Second thing is that your money is given to you as a tool to love God and invest in his kingdom. That's why God gave you money, to love God, invest in his kingdom. And thirdly, we're, we're told that we're to do what God says with our money. Whatever, whatever God says to us, that's what we're to do, to be obedient. And frequently, we should lay it at his feet. Oh, that's a hard prayer to pray because it requires all kinds of trust. And so in the end, this is about lordship. This is about trust in God. So today, not even not taking money right out of the equation, I, I would just call you to go all in with God, to trust him sufficiently, to trust him fully with your life, to say, God, I trust you. And it is not enough to say, Jesus, uh, I, I think that you died on a cross, but I'm not really gonna trust you. That's not trust. That's like believing in story like that you really maybe don't believe in. I, I want to call you to trust him, to trust him to believe that he could take care of all your life. To trust him to believe that every single, every single heart cry you have had, he has heard. Man, like part of my heart is that we'd be a community of people that would not just be religious. So we wouldn't just be people marginally nicer or like better rule followers or that we'd be people that would take all of me, Jesus, to all of you. And maybe just our money is a little bit of a, it's a red herring in some ways. It's a canary in a coal mine. So just in this moment as the worship team plays, and I'm going to pray, I'm just going to ask that you'd ask God, God, what does my money indicate that I'm living for? What kind of a kingdom am I investing in, my own kingdom or your kingdom? And God, what, what is my attitude towards money? Tell me about the state of my heart. Just, just in this moment, would you just pray those prayers? Would you ask the Lord that? So God, I pray that you would challenge us today to become people that trust you with all of our hearts. Thank you that you are a God who fully can take care of us, who is trustworthy in every way. I pray that you would bless us now in Jesus' name. Give us courage. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.